0: The Daily Rios, Episode 443, Heroes in Crisis, Issue 3, Breakdown. Hey everyone, this is your host Peter. Happy New Year's Eve. This is another Heroes in Crisis breakdown episode, taking a look at issue number 3, which shipped on November 28th, and just in time for issue number 4, which will be released this week on Wednesday, January 2nd. Now, if you're listening to this episode, I'm assuming that you are reading along with me, and if not, you are listening because you are curious about the DC event known as Heroes in Crisis. This is a breakdowns episode, so I will be going through page by page detailing all of the stuff that I'm picking up uh, as the series progresses that might help to inform the larger story. And then at the end, I will give out a few theories and speculations, as I am always want to do, uh, about the larger story and about the mystery, and we will see, you know, down the road if any of this stuff pans out. So let's begin with issue number three. This is, of course, by writer Tom King. Art-wise, we have Clay Man, who did the first and last pages And then we have Lee Weeks, who did all the interior pages um, between the first and last page. We have Tomei Moray doing the colors, totally being a superstar and helping to make all of the uh, art look consistent and definitely giving a tone to the larger story. And then we have Clayton Cowles as letterer. We do get a title for this issue, Master of the Lagoon. But we don't get that title until the end of the book. And I do have to say I did miss in this issue uh, that double-page spread that we got in issues one and two that had the Heroes in Crisis title logo uh, designed within the spread. We didn't get that this this issue, and I missed that. I I did. I really missed it. In fact, if you listen to my first episode and my second episode on Heroes in Crisis, that double-page spread is what informs the music that I pick for that episode or for that particular episode. For instance, in issue one, the double-page spread was... um, Uh, overlooking the countryside where Sanctuary is located, and it reminded me of that scene in Superman the movie where a young Clark Kent is looking off into the north, and Ma Kent joins him and says, you know, where are you going? And he says north. And all of that John Williams sweeping Americana music that plays during that scene, which is one of my favorite scenes in that movie, uh, it reminded me of this issue. So that's why I used that particular music for the first breakdowns of uh, Heroes in Crisis. And then in issue two, the double-page spread is Harley Quinn traveling through some snow, uh, traveling to Penguin's lair, and I don't know why, but it just kind of made me think, hmm, I wonder if there is any kind of Penguin theme music uh, for his Batman Returns appearance by Tim Burton. And sure enough... Uh, I'm going to assume that the music is by Danny Elfman, uh, but that's why I chose that particular theme music for that episode. But for this episode, I haven't picked the music yet because, you know, as I said, we didn't get a double-page spread, so I don't know what I'm going to use just yet. So I, I will determine that when I'm doing editing, when I'm doing post, as they say. Now this particular issue, you may wonder why we don't have Clayman on as the artist, if you remember back in September, they did announce that Heroes in Crisis was going to expand from seven issues to nine issues and that those two extra issues were going to be done by Lee Weeks and one issue was going to be done by Mitch Garretts. And sure enough, this is the Lee Weeks episode or Lee Weeks issue. So it did make me think... Um, Was this part of the larger narrative as Tom King was writing it? Uh, Is this a special that they inserted into the normal uh, narrative? And that's why it's not only a fill-in issue in terms of art, but it does feel like a momentary pause in the larger story to give us a little bit more information into Sanctuary itself. So I don't know. I don't pretend to know, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. I'm not going to make assumptions. I'm just going to say, you know, that's that could be uh, what's going on here, and maybe that's why some people had a little bit of problems with this uh, issue because they, they felt that it interrupted the larger story, but maybe that's by design. So instead of getting some random special, they decided to put it into the numbering. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, uh, That's about as much attention I want to give to that. Anyway, let's start in with the issue. And we start, as always, with the cover where we see Batman holding a sanctuary mask and the reflection is Batman and Barry Allen Flash looking on. Now, there is an upcoming Batman Flash crossover called The Last Cold Case, and that was solicited in the December previews, and it's going to flip-flop back and forth between uh, two Batman issues and two Flash issues. Now, I've seen a bunch of people say that the Sanctuary mask probably must have some kind of connection to the mask worn by the Psycho Pirate, especially considering his uh, connections to anything that ever happens with the crisis. I don't know. I haven't seen any of that within these three issues. I am not up to date with Tom King's Batman run. I know that the Psycho Pirate does appear in that run somewhere, Um, and I think he was in the wedding issue. So, sure, maybe there's some connection, but as of now, there's nothing in the script that kind of warrants that. Uh, But do take note, once again, that the mask is in the shape ...of the Sanctuary Shield, which is reflecting and homaging the old Golden Age Superman shield, the, uh, the emblem that he wore on his chest. So um, that's something that I've been keeping a look at. Now there is a Ryan Sook cover that I've been getting, uh, a variant cover, showing major traumatic moments within the DC Universe... And for Issue 3, it is the death of Maxwell Lord, or I should say the killing of Maxwell Lord at the hands of Wonder Woman during the build-up to Infinite Crisis, which happened back in 2005. Now on the cover, uh, it looks like, you know, it's like a Polaroid with that moment um, captured. There are two dates, one that says September 6th and the sanctuary file date of January 9th. Now, the book that this happened in, which was Wonder Woman 219, it originally shipped in July 2005 with a September cover date. So I imagine maybe that's where they're getting the date from, from the cover date. But it could also be random, so I don't know. Because the book shipped in July, so both those dates don't match that. Um, The image itself is a nice homage to the panel where Wonder Woman is standing over the body of Maxwell Lord after she snapped his neck. And you can see that she has some bruises because prior to that she was fighting Superman, who was mind-controlled by Maxwell Lord, and that's the whole reason why she snapped his neck in the first place. So, uh, yeah, like I said, those variant covers I've been getting because I kind of like them because they speak to the larger DC universe. All right, page one, we have The Confessionals, The Confessionals of Lagoon Boy... Wally West, and Booster Gold, all characters that we've seen in the series so far. They introduce themselves, they then rattle off their catchphrases. So we have Master of the Lagoon from Lagoon Boy, Flash says the fastest man alive, and Booster is the greatest hero you've never heard of. We also find out how long they've been at Sanctuary. Lagoon Boy has been here for three months, And he says this is the longest anyone has been there. He says it's a record. Wally's only been here for two and a half weeks, and Booster just arrived. And this issue digs into just how the therapy at Sanctuary works. So this establishing page is kind of nice. It's something we've been seeing in the first two issues. And it shows you the characters that we are going to follow uh, within this story. So that leads us to the therapy, Starting on page two, we get the first of many splash pages in this issue of Lagoon Boy getting gutted by a laser, and he's in some woods. This is reflective of the 2007 Titans East special, which was by Judd Winnick and Ian Churchill, where this very event happened. He wasn't killed in that special. You can see that he's still alive, And in the Titan series that followed, it was revealed that he was, uh, you know, recuperating or was in a coma. uh, And that the only one that really did die from that special, I think, was Power Boy. So that is a direct callback to that issue. And clearly, it's being brought up because this is part of his therapy. Then we go to page three. And we are in Wally West's room at Sanctuary. He is trying on a mask. We are looking down at him. He's laying on a bed. And he is saying, come on, Jay. Don't be scared. It's just a mask. It's still me. It's still just Daddy. Now, oddly enough, it made me think, okay, is he talking about the Sanctuary mask? Is he reliving a memory And the mask that he's talking about is when he puts on his flash mask? Is he seeing his kids and talking to them like he's a little bit touched in the head? Which would be really creepy. So, I don't know. I don't know what's going on just yet by this page. Now, Jay is his son, uh, one one of uh, a set of twins from back in 2005 the other one being Iris, and when they were born, they didn't have any signs that they had Wally's powers, but then after a couple months, uh, their metabolism sped up. They started to age rapidly, and they were worried that the twins would reach their own death sooner rather than later. So Wally began to train them, and then something happened where they got zapped into the Speed Force, I believe, um, all this convoluted stuff happened about Jay getting older, and then his powers getting ter- uh, put into his sister, and then eventually they all went away with rebirth anyway. I am not a fan of Wally's kids. I am also not a fan of Wally's family. Um, I didn't read his comic during that time because of it, and, you know, maybe that's my own loss, but just there was just something about it I didn't particularly care for. Okay, page four, we get another splash page, this time showing Booster arriving at Sanctuary. He is greeted by robots that we saw uh, destroyed in issue one. Still no reasoning why they look like Ma and Pa Kent. And then there's a third one that looks like Lana Lang. And then we get some dialogue from Booster. Every time, uh, you know, they talk to him, he's like, ''Thanks, great to be here, going to be a good time, awesome.'' And it really sounds like an act, like he's just kind of putting that on. And we'll talk about that again in a little bit. Page 5, Lagoon Boy's therapy continues. We see that he is constantly reliving his trauma. Page 6, we return to Wally and his therapy. Now, he's ignoring the voice and the questions that are being asked of him. It's a computerized voice. And what we see is that he just wants to hold his family again, his kids and Linda Park, his wife. Now, remember, this is post-DC Rebirth, and they don't exist. At least the kids don't exist. And Linda Park, if you remember way back from that DC Rebirth special that kicked all this off in the first place, she doesn't remember Wally at all. So, although, again, I was never really a fan of his marriage, It is something that they are playing around with within the DC Rebirth era and within Heroes in Crisis. So the voice asks him, why do you need them? Meaning maybe the kids or or his wife or his family. And I thought, wow, that could really be a question to the reader or from the readers asking that same thing like I just did. Like, why do we need the kids? Why do we need Wally's family? And, um, you know, I certainly question that. I understand it, and it's here and it's been here for, you know, over 10 years, uh, if not longer, but um, I thought that little bit of dialogue felt kind of meta in some way, kind of almost making people like me question our own concern about why we're so not a fan of his marriage and not a fan of his kids and his family, I don't know. Anyway, page 7, Booster is shown around Sanctuary, and this is where we learn a bunch of things. Uh, We learn that people will wear the masks in common areas for anonymity. Some don't. They can also just opt to stay in their rooms and have meals brought to them. All these therapy treatments that we are seeing, they are called chamber sessions, and this is all while Booster is responding with things like outstanding, fantastic, swell. So it's that same tone of dialogue. But when he's alone in his room, he has his head in his hands, and he's slumped, and you can tell he is clearly not very outstanding. He is not fantastic. He is not swell. Something is up with him. Page 8, we get into Lagoon Boy's head a little bit, and we see that he's had this treatment, this quote-unquote treatment, for 337 times but he says in his everyday life when he wakes up when he goes to sleep over and over he's been seeing this laser he's been seeing it way more than he has in his treatment and the little research that I did there is a treatment for this in terms of uh, reliving your trauma as a way to move past it I'm not gonna you know presume to be some kind of expert on any of this But I think I mentioned before how this book could be showing us not only how heroes handle trauma, but the different kinds of trauma that they could go through. And this is clearly one of them. And given Tom King's past, I just think it's a given that he's trying to explore various types of trauma and various types of therapy, but within a superhero universe— so while it may not be exactly what is done in the real real world, it's kind of like he is extrapolating what it might be like within a superhero universe. What what ways, what directions could all this therapy and this trauma take place? And which, how how could they go? And I think, again, that's where some readers are getting confused. Like, they're treating this series as if it's supposed to be a roadmap or a thesis on modern trauma therapy just because Tom King has this experience. But they're forgetting that it is a comic book. And not only is it a comic book, it's a comic book event. So it's like a Super Bowl, right? So you're getting some ideas, you're getting some explorations, Um, yes, you know, I know there's some concern that people had in terms of, um, they were wishing it was a much smaller story, an intimate story, you know, and then suddenly it blew up and and it's becoming this DC event, but here we are, right? So I think if you think this book is going to heal you as some, in some way, or if you're getting caught up in the whole, don't do this to my favorite character, I think you're getting a little too deep into some kind of false sense of... Um, their goals for this, and also a false sense of ownership. So, yeah, it's a little bit of edit- editorializing right there. Page 9, we're back to Wally's chamber session, and he is training his superpowered powered kids to go up against Captain Cold. Again, he's ignoring the questions being asked of him. Uh, the computerized voice is saying, "'Wally, is this enough? Is this what you want?' page 10, another splash page, this time of Booster preparing for his own chamber session. And <laughs> he clearly needs it. So we are, we are reinforced with the fact that uh, this is all based partly on Kryptonian crystal technology. It is built by Batman from Superman's tech with Wonder Woman's compassion, as Booster says. Not that the computer confirms this, Even though Booster says it, you know, for the readers and for his own mindset, the computers don't, that computerized voice doesn't back it up. So I thought that was interesting that it was answering his questions, but it kind of sidestepped his comment about the technology. Also, the artwork is very interesting. Uh, Booster is standing with his face in his hands, And then there are all these swirls all over the place. Uh, They look like they were formed with thumbprints. And at first I was thinking, is someone watching Booster from a dirty two-way glass? Or is it just a design element for the art itself? So either way, I like that page. Page 11, we go back to Lagoon Boy. He is still trying to get beyond his ordeal And then he says at the end of the page, one day I'll just know that I'm real and the laser isn't. And that's okay. And then maybe I'll just laugh or something. And then again, he gets zapped by one of those fake uh, lasers. So, you know, today is not the day that he's going to just be able to stop and laugh. But uh, as we will see, maybe it is. Page 12, Wally is reliving or maybe he's just having a therapy moment, um, uh, a time with his daughter, Iris, who is asking how Wally received his powers. So he goes on to describe it, and it matches exactly the way that Barry Allen got his powers, and Iris says, "'Wait a minute, that's silly, Daddy. That doesn't make any sense.'" To which he replies, "'No, honey, it doesn't make any sense at all.'" Now, if you kind of push that line of thinking a little further... What doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense uh, that he should have the same powers. It doesn't make any sense that he's alive and his kids aren't. It doesn't make any sense that he is in this certain situation. So I thought that phrase had a lot more weight to it. Page 13, Booster's Chamber session is continuing. He is talking to himself. And boy, is that other Booster not holding back. Be careful what you wish for, Booster. So within his therapy session, he has decided that what he wants, out of all the things you could possibly get within a chamber, he wants to talk to himself? That's interesting. That's really interesting. Page 14. Lagoon Boy stops his session just before a laser is about to reach him again. And as he walks away, it says, Emergency, emergency, please proceed to the nearest exit. So in the middle of these three sessions, something has happened. And I feel like that has to be a clue as to what could be behind all this. But you know, um, but I'm going to hold on to that thought and get back to it. So let's keep going. Page 15, we get a splash page of Wally running through Sanctuary to see what is going on as we continue to hear the warnings over the system. Page 16, Booster is fighting himself in the session even though the emergency call is going on behind them, and they are, of course, ignoring it, more or less. Page 17, we are outside with Lagoon Boy looking over the bodies of Hotspot, and two new characters that I don't think we knew were killed prior to this issue, Gunfire and Red Devil. Now, Gunfire was introduced during the Bloodlines event in 1993 in a Deathstroke annual, Uh, Red Devil was introduced as Kid Devil way back in 1984 as part of the supporting cast of Blue Devil. And then he was turned into a true Red Devil by Neurons uh, sometime after Infinite Crisis where he would go on to join the Teen Titans. Now, if you're keeping a scorecard handy, we are not done with the Titans just yet. We are not done with, uh, you know, Titans members being killed. So... Now, as Lagoon Boy is standing there over the bodies, he gets impaled. Something goes through him, just like the laser, and he falls to the ground, and he laughs, just as he said he would. Ah, I thought that was, I don't know, it was like not heartbreaking, but just um, ah, just a nice little bit of, of uh, narrative story going on there. Now, whatever it was that went through him, it kind of looks like it could have been a javelin. It is definitely something sharp, which made me think, is it a crystal? A Kryptonian crystal? Hmm? But we don't really see a murder weapon, so I don't know. But again, I'll have some theories at the end. The biggest takeaway of this page is that Lagoon Boy's death is basically an exact copy of his trauma, of his previous trauma and kind of a copy of his therapy. So again, put a pin in that, because we're going to talk about that at the end of this episode. Page 18. Wally is on the steps of Sanctuary, holding Roy Harper's body. And finally, he gives a response to the therapy question that was being asked of him. So they were saying, why do you need them? And his dialogue here is, the kids, I didn't, I didn't want to be alone. So he's holding Roy. You could almost say like he's hugging them. Again, like Lagoon Boy, this feels very familiar, very similar to his chamber session. And it made me ask, who has this information, right? Who could be privy to all of the chamber sessions and who could use this information as a way, as a method to kill these people in the same uh, format that they are receiving their treatment in? Who could put them through the same situations as they are being killed or targeted even? Uh, Again, more on this later, but uh, I thought that was really interesting. This is where it kind of hit home, that that all this just feels too calculated. Now, a little bit of an art discrepancy here. If Roy and Wally are on the porch, why did Superman find them in the main foyer in issue number one? And it could just be because it's it's a different artist. But uh, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with that page 19. Wally gets hit over the head with Harley's hammer. Booster is standing there while this happens, and Harley replies, "I didn't know you were here." And Booster says, "Actually, it's it's my first day." Now another little bit of bit of art curiosity here. Either it's an accident or it's intentional. Wally's lightning symbol is incorrect in the pan- panel where he's getting hit by the hammer. All throughout the issue, it's drawn with the proper zigzag angle in and in everything cu- before this. But in this particular panel, it's reversed, which made me think, okay, why? Is it an accident? Is it incidental? Does it have anything to do with what I'm going to bring up um, shortly? Page 20, we are back to the confessionals to close out this issue. And this is where we see a ton more characters who were either at Sanctuary at the time of the Massacre, um, and I assume they are all dead. We don't know for sure, um, at least not from the information in the pages of the three issues so far. Some of them we know are dead, but not all of them. So we have Commander Steel, the indestructible man. We have gunfire, I am the weapon, right? These are their catchphrases. The Tattooed Man, The Living Ink, Narc, The Last Cro-Magnon, Red Devil, The Kid Devil, All Grown Up, Protector, Just Say No, Poison Ivy, Pam, <laughs> I guess villains don't have catchphrases, Solstice, The Light, and Nemesis, who says just that. Now that Titans scorecard, of the nine characters here, five are Titans or Titans-related. Tattooed Man was in the Titans book when it was led by Deathstroke, right around Brightest Day and leading up to Flashpoint. NARC goes all the way back to 1971 as a Titans West member from the Bronze Age. And then this version is the Cave Boy version from the Rebirth era from the title uh, Titans Hunt. Uh, We talked about Red Devil. Protector is from the Keebler drug issues from the 80s, Who was created as a stand in for Robin because of rights issues with another cookie company. And then he was brought into the DC proper during a Beast Boy story in a Titans Secret Files. And Solstice was introduced back in 2011 prior to Flashpoint in Wonder Girl number one, and was later in the Teen Titans run during the J.T. Kroll. Nicola Scott era. This was the era where Damien first became a member of the team. She's a hero from Pakistan. She could kind of be seen as almost like an opposite to Raven. So if Raven is dark, Solstice was light. And uh, I think this version that we're seeing here is more in line with her uh, post-Flashpoint version, which we saw in Teen Titans. And then a little bit more information about the others. Commander Steel, we saw dead in issue one. And then in issue two, Batman was performing some kind of autopsy on him. We uh, He found a set of fake chattering teeth in ca- uh, Commander Steel's neck, in his throat. Gunfire we saw earlier in this issue, dead on the floor. Poison Ivy we saw in issue two. Nemesis, oh god, Nemesis, I love this guy. Look, I'm a huge Titans fan. We had a bunch of Titans characters who were offed in this series so far. Wally, Roy, the ones in this issue. But now, Nemesis? Oh, hell no. Seriously. <laughs> I love this guy. Now, I'm not sure if he's appeared post-Flashpoint or in the DC Rebirth universe, but he was part of Gail Simone's Wonder Woman series, and i he was definitely, you know, my love for him goes back to the 80s Suicide Squad run. So this is kind of weird, right? Like Nemesis, I did not see this coming. It is the very last panel of the issue. If you know Nemesis, um, not his abilities, but his sort of uh, modus operandi where he uh, masquerades as different people through like masks. And think of sort of like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible with all the mask stuff, right? To throw a character like that within this story, um, that that can't be just minor. So we will see how that uh, affects the larger story, if at all. And uh, and that's the issue. That that that's the issue. So let's go to my theories. Um, one of the first theories I think I might have talked about this before is that I feel like all of this killing is being done by Sanctuary itself and that's why the deaths are happening just like the traumas that these characters had originally went uh, gone through uh, again i think i talked about this before but this issue kind of hit home with that right like why are we seeing lagoon boy's therapy of constantly getting impaled by a laser and then when he really dies he gets impaled by something same thing with wally where it's all about you know the trauma of losing a family so in the real world quote unquote The trauma of losing Roy reflects that. So who has that information? Is it Sanctuary itself? Um, Has the artificial intelligence uh, become something more? Questions. These are just questions. The second theory is that the characters that are killed are not the real characters, and maybe the characters that were killed are creations of the chamber session? So, you know, look at Booster's therapy. He creates another Booster. And then the response that Booster gives to Harley when she whacks Wally over the head, he says, it's my first day. Now, we know that it's Booster Gold's first day at the sanctuary, but is it also the first day of the Booster Gold creation? Of the chamber session version of Booster Gold, and then think about Wally's symbol being all funky and not, you know, not drawn right for just one panel. All very curious stuff. I don't know how much, I don't know how much this theory is going to stick, but uh, you know, I'm just spitballing here. I'm just kind of throwing stuff out to see what what happens. And then finally, um, this one might be really out there: is the notion that this whole entire story is part of the chamber session. That once we get into, I don't know, maybe Booster's chamber session or maybe Wally's chamber session, is that we never leave the session, and the session is the event. Does that make sense? So in essence, what we're reading is not real. It's it's not the death of these characters. It's it's all going on in somebody's therapy because I don't know, they need to be a hero. Think of think of Booster's tagline, the the greatest hero you've never known or you you never will know or whatever that is. Maybe this is his way to become known or maybe this is the way he gets through not being known. Um I don't know, I just that kind of just clicked, right? The, we're getting these taglines for some reason. The emergency happens during some therapy sessions. I don't know, it's just something about it made me think maybe this all is just still a session. I don't know when that little flip might have happened. I don't know how it affects the tie-in books that we're getting. Um, you know, we can't get a Green Arrow tie-in book if this is not real, right? But just, I don't know, there's something about it that maybe, maybe it has something to do with the session, the larger um, aspect of um, the Kryptonian technology again, which led me to an even larger thought about why Tom King is writing this book and, and maybe why I feel people are judging it a little too quickly. But I feel like Tom is putting us through a chamber session he's putting us through therapy. He's putting us through what we go through when we read these larger events, either these DC events or comic events in general. Um I think I might have talked about this before, you know, but there's a very deliberate pace with this event. We get information slowly uh and we're not it's not like a shock, it's not like a dis- uh, you know, an immediate sense of discovery it's all kind of just given to us very slowly. And I've seen some people say, you know, um, there's no emotionality to it. We can't really get emotional about these deaths because we don't know what it's about or we're not seeing it in real time. And I, I sort of feel like that's intentional. It's giving us slow information just to mess with us. So in essence, we are in a chamber, right? We're sort of in a chamber of therapy for events. You know, think of all the Twitter reactions. Think of think of how people are reacting because this book doesn't follow the normal way an event has been told before. It just makes me feel like it's going to be real interesting to see some of the comments once all of this is resolved. Um, Because, I, I don't know, I feel like this might be his way, his very meta way to deal with how readers relive trauma of characters going through stuff like this. And maybe that's the whole point of the event. So, let me know what you think, Peter at the or leave a comment on the website. I look forward to issue four. And as I said, that will be released in a couple days. And hopefully I'll be able to get that uh that episode out, that breakdowns episode, that breakdowns episode out sooner than this one. It is New Year's Eve, so make sure you have a safe holiday, and uh, we will see you on the flip. All right, this has been The Daily Rios, episode 443. Talk to you soon. Bye.